following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, IBC. My name is Craig. So glad that you've joined us here this morning, whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room here with us. I don't think you're here by accident. I believe that God has you here for a reason this morning, that he wants to speak to you and move in your life this morning. It's been said that 80% of success is just showing up. And so you've shown up, you've given God the opportunity, his spirit, the opportunity to work in you as you hear from his word this morning. So thank you for being here. Cause I know it takes effort to get here on a day where you had an extra hour's sleep. The day is beautiful outside. There's a hundred different things vying for your attention and your affection and your time. And yet you've made the determination that what we do here together matters. Heather, uh, I'm sorry, design thinker and author Tanner Christensen said this. He said, even on days when you don't feel like it, showing up can make all the difference. If you show up and start the work, even though it feels so heavy to do, what you end up making could be all you need to keep moving. And don't we want to just keep moving forward on our faith journey? Don't we all want to be better? Don't we want our hearts to expand for the things of God? And yet I think we recognize that there's something in this world that's not right. There's something inside of us that's not right. When Barry started this sermon series, he said, you know, there's a me that I want to be and there's a me that I am. And there's this gap between the two. And here at IBC, we believe the only way to close that gap is through the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is what we need to close that gap. We need more Jesus. And it's why this sermon series is called More of You. Because it's us saying, God, in the world that I live in and with my heart, I need more of you. I need you to come in and make a change in me. And at the same time, it's God saying to us, look, I want to change you. I want to transform your life. I want to give you the abundant life, but, but I need more of you in order to do that. We have to surrender ourselves over to him in order to enjoy the abundant life that he's promised us. And your presence here is the first step in that. So congratulations. You have positioned yourself in a posture to say this morning, God, here I am. Will you work in me? Will you change me today? I don't want to just be an improved me. I don't want to be Craig 2.0. I want to actually be a new me. I want to be more like you. Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always said this. For a lot of us, our problem following Jesus is we're just trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we actually live into our best self. So let's just pray this morning for God to do a work in us. Will you pray with me? God, will you speak to us today? Will you change us today? Will you make us into a more accurate reflection of who you are? Transform us, God. It's why we're here. May we walk out of these doors different than when we walked in. Amen. Well, the bottom line for this whole series is that we've been looking at different practices, different habits, different disciplines that we can be intentional in, in order to best position ourselves for God to do his work in us. We want to be available to the spirit of God to move inside of us. It's why we sang that song, Holy Spirit, just come rest on us, come inside of us. And we've already talked about a couple of weeks ago, the importance of scripture. That we are committed to scripture here. That we believe that the scripture is the God-breathed, the word of God. It's true and it changes lives. And then last week, Barry talked with us about just the need to get away from the busyness of life every now and again. To make space and time for God to listen to him and for us to talk with him uh, through prayer. 
And today we're going to talk about the importance of community, of being connected with other people. I love this subject and it's such a timely subject because it seems that ever since we've had the introduction of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that with all of its promises to connect us more closely, it's actually done just the opposite. Isolation, I think, has never been so rampant. Robert Putnam in his book, Boeing Alone, has done a lot of research in this area. And he says over the past few years, not decades, but years, the average American has gone from having 3.2 friends to 1.8. His most recent research shows that about 40% of Americans have zero to one confidant. That means 40% of the people in our country have little to no one to just sit down with and share life with and share victories with and share struggles with. A former Surgeon General wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review, and he said during his years caring for patients, the most common pathology he saw was not cardiac disease, it was not diabetes, it was actually loneliness. And he argues that it can be just as fatal. Uh, Our world can be a lonely place. Susie Becker is a New York Times bestselling author, and she teamed up with some elementary age school children to ask them to help solve the big problems of our world, to get their take on it so that we could make this world a better place to live. And the the result of those questions was a book she published entitled The All Better Book. Um, And it's just their honest and simple responses to the big questions of our world. For instance, they, they were told that just telling people smoking is bad for them doesn't seem to help. And then they ask, how would you help them quit? Alexis, age eight, said, well, go to the smoker's house, pretend to smoke, and then die. Um, Alexis is a little bit dramatic, I think. Another problem, too many people spend hours at jobs where they're unhappy. Give their boss some suggestions. Andrew, age nine, said, well, just pay them double and have a big tickling machine for those unhappy workers. Now, as an employer, I'm not really digging the pay them double part, but I am thinking about investing in the big tickling machine. But here was one of the toughest problems. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Kalani, age eight, said, well, people should find, you should find lonely people and ask their name and address and then find people who aren't lonely and ask their name and address. And then when you get an even number, you just connect them together and publish it in the newspaper. Kalani has the spiritual gift of administration, I would say. Uh, Another response, make food that talks to you when you eat. I thought we already had that. It's called Mexican food, I think, right? But a little different take on it that would actually talk. How are you doing? What happened to you today? Matt, age eight, suggested we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and then take them places. I'm not sure about Matt's understanding of the whole marriage thing. And then finally, Brian, age eight, says, sing a song, stamp your foot, and read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of those. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. Well, the good news this morning is that someone already has figured out a system for that. It's called the church. It's the ecclesia. It's the family of God. And not only is this designed to be a place where you belong, where you're loved and you're known and you're accepted, but I believe that it's within the context of a faith community like this that God can do some of his best work in you to shape you and form you and mold you into the image of his son. Because after all, that is the goal he has for you. It says in Romans 8, from the beginning... God decided that those who came to him and all along he knew who would should become like his son. That's God's dream for you. 
that as you journey through this life, as each month and year passes, that you will look more and act more and respond more and love more like Jesus. And while we could talk this morning about the necessity and the benefit of showing up in a large gathering like this, um, I think actually that deep transformational life change happens best in a smaller group setting. It's why we have formation groups here, because we believe that God does some of his best work when you're actually sitting around facing each other, not in rows, just facing me and really opening up and sharing your lives together. I mean, we know from Acts 2 that the early church, they met in the temple in a a setting like this for teaching, but they also daily, it says, met in people's homes and shared meals together. And so that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. You know, when Jesus was in the upper room that last night with his little small group, with his closest friends, he prayed for them and he also prayed for us. And do you remember what that prayer was? He prayed this. This is in John 17, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. What a beautiful prayer that is. What an encouragement to know that on Jesus' last day on this planet, he was thinking of you. And he was thinking of me. And he was praying for us. He was inviting us into his eternal family. Making us a part of the inner circle of the original community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because I believe he knew that as we live life together in a faith community. Pursuing oneness in him. That I'll become more like the me that I want to be. The me that I was designed to be. Because there's certain things I can only learn in the context of a community. And we're going to get to those in just a second. But before we do, I just want to clarify. When he's praying for oneness here. I think he's praying for a oneness, for a unity in spirit. He's praying for a oneness in alignment, purpose alignment with his purposes. Praying for our heart to beat for the things that his heart beats for. I don't think when he prays for oneness, he's praying for sameness. Or is he praying for agreement on everything? God's plan is not for us to all get into a small group and then walk out of it talking the same, acting the same, believing all the same things. I mean, why would he have spent so much time being creative and forming us into different, uh, the way we look different on the outside, right? Our sizes and shapes and our skin colors and our ethnicities, all the beautiful differences he's given us. And then all of a sudden think, well, once you come into a small group, all that goes away. Because it's in the differences that we more accurately reflect who he is. And we learn how to appreciate and love and respect fellow image bearers who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't believe like us, and don't even vote like us. I'll be honest, I love me some me, but I don't want to be in a small group with 11 other me's. I can be annoying even to myself. Kathy and I have been in the same small group for the past 20 years. This is our 20 year anniversary. And I promise you, we are different from each other in so many different ways. And there are some big ways. We have political differences. We have Trump voters and Biden voters. Those who would say build the wall and those who would say build back better. We have social differences. Those who drink and those who are teetotalers. We have those who believe firmly in the traditional view of marriage between a man and a woman and those who affirm and support the LGBTQ viewpoint. We have some pretty significant differences and theological differences we have. We have those who are steadfast in their belief of once saved, always saved. 
And those who would say, no, 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 I think you can actually walk away from your faith. I think you could lose your salvation. Those are big differences that I'm guessing are reflected in a larger group like this as well. And for some of you, some of those differences would be deal breakers. But we've stayed together. And you know what's kept us together? Obviously not that we all believe the same thing. What's kept us together is that I think we all recognize our own brokenness and our great need for Jesus. Heather Kopp wrote this. She said, when folks gather around a system of shared beliefs, the price of acceptance in the group is usually agreement, which means the greatest value stated or not is being right. Unfortunately, this often creates an atmosphere of fear and performance, which in turn invites conformity. But when people gather around a shared need for healing, the price of acceptance in the group is usually vulnerability, which means the greatest value stated or not is being real. And that tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community. So after 20 years together, I'm not sure any of our dearly held beliefs are going to change that much. But you know what is changing and has changed, at least for me? I have a broader understanding of humanity. I I have greater respect for people's views that are different than mine. My heart is bigger for people, for all people, not just people who think and act and behave like me. And I'd say that's a good thing. You might even say that's a Jesus kind of thing. Reminds me of that great quote from Billy Graham when he said, you know what? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. Small group community really is kind of like a learning lab. It's a training center where I'm formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Romans one says it this way. I want us to help each other with the faith that we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. I really believe it is the best place for me to become the me that I want to be because there's a few things I can only learn in the context of a community. And I'm going to share just a few with you this morning. The first one is this. This is where I learn that it's not just me. It's not just me. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in my struggles. I'm not the only one who battles with my sin nature that lives with this humongous gap between who I am and who I want to be. I mean, just last weekend, last week, a week ago on Halloween Sunday, which was last week. uh, And I know your first question is, gosh, I wonder what Craig's grandkids look like on Halloween, what they dressed up, those adorable kids. And so (laughs) twist my arm. Here you go. Uh, We have a flight nurse, and this is not an elf. This is actually a surgeon next to her. (laughs) So anyway, back to that day. I had um, taught a Bible community class here at 9 o'clock and then come to church. And then uh, we took two of our sons to lunch. And then after that, uh, I usually like a nap. But our uh, oldest son and his whole family with the grandkids came over and spent the rest of the afternoon. And they all left at 630. And so I was just wiped out. And I couldn't wait to just collapse in my recliner. And so... I got in the recliner and the other thing that happens is at the end of a Sunday, if I know I'm the one speaking the next Sunday, kind of a a panic starts to set in. So that has started to set in because I got to think about what am I going to talk about next Sunday? It's I'm, I'm up next. And so I'm just in the recliner like a corpse really. And the, the doorbell rings and I can see the door from my recliner. It's just right there. And so Kathy goes and opens the door and it's a family. It's a dad and a mom and two kids. And 
And uh, Kathy starts up a conversation. Tell me your story. And, and they said, well, we're your new neighbors. We moved in two doors down. And she's like, oh my gosh. You know, and, and, and if you know my wife, within three or four minutes, she's like, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? We love Jesus here. And so, yes, they love Jesus. Do you have a church? Would you like to come? We have a great church you could come to. And so all that conversation happens. And the whole time I'm hearing it, but I'm still staying in my chair because I'm tired. And I've got a sermon to come up with, with how to love people better, right? So I'm thinking that through. And so they finish this whole conversation and she shuts the door and she turns around and she sees me. And it's like, she's a little bit surprised. And she said, have you been sitting there the whole time? And I said, mm-hmm. And she said, did you hear our conversation? And I said, mm-hmm. And she said, when did my husband go mute? Did, did you not think that... It might be nice if the pastor got up and met the new neighbors. And I thought, man, she's right. I failed again. But you know what? When you show up in a small community and you share a story, I can share a story like that around a meal table with our small group. And then somebody else can say, boy, I really blew it at work this week with with doing this. Or I, I messed up in my marriage this week. And suddenly there's this collective, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who has these struggles because Satan wants nothing more than you to, for you to think you're the only one. You're the only one struggling with that. If everybody knew that about you, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. And that's a lie. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And you will learn that when you're in community with people that know you and love you. It's in community that you learn, hey, everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? So don't give Satan a foothold because once the struggles are out on the table, We can encourage each other. We can spur each other on towards love and good deeds as Paul talks about. We don't have to hide it, put on masks, pretend like it's not there, that we have it all together. It can come out into the light. And when it comes out in the light, that's when the great physician can do his best work in us. You know, I go to the dermatologist twice a year because several years back I had a melanoma on my arm and had to have Mohs surgery. I got this big old ugly scar here. And so now I have to go have a full body exam twice a year at the dermatologist. And if you haven't had that experience, praise God for that, because it is the most humiliating thing you can ever go do. They have me go in dressed, undressed down to my skivvies, stand in a cold exam room with my arms out while my female dermatologist comes in with a big magnifying glass with a flashlight on it and starts circling my body. And nine times out of 10, she'll say, hey, I have a young female student out there that would like to come in and observe as well. Do you mind? Oh no, bring in the whole class, right? This is awesome. I hate going to the dermatologist, but you know why I go? Because if there's something in me or on me that's killing me, I want it off. I want to get rid of it. Sure, I could show up fully dressed and refuse to undress and and I would be more comfortable, but we'd never get to the problem. It wouldn't do me any good. And small group is kind of like going to the dermatologist. This is the place where I can go and expose parts of myself. And and that means figuratively, okay? (laughs) But this is where I can just go and put it out there. And then God, once it's out there, has the ability to take his little spray gun full of Freon and burn that off of me. Or his little scalpel and just start peeling that away if it doesn't align with his heart. I'm not alone in my struggles and neither are you. We learn that in trusted community together. I'm also not alone in just navigating the ups and downs of life. Because look, one of these days you're going to get a phone call. And it's going to be a phone call that changes your life. 
And you don't want to be standing alone when that phone call comes in. You want people around you to support you, to grieve that loss or to celebrate um, that victory. In our group, after 20 years together, 12 of us, we have buried 10 of our parents together. We've grieved together. We've celebrated. We've married off 13 of our children. And then we've grieved of the price of the weddings to marry off 13 children. And we've celebrated the arrival of 15 grandchildren together. Life is so much better and richer and fuller when it's shared with a small group of people who love you and know you and who wants what's best for you. We celebrate and, 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 and are, are, will grieve with you. There's that great, great quote that says, joy multiplies when it's shared among friends. But grief diminishes with every division. That is life. It's not just me. I'm not alone. I learned that with a small community. The second thing I learned is I learned to get over me. To, be, to begin to make sacrifices for the good of the community. Setting aside my needs and wants and preferences every now and again. To have Chinese food for dinner every now and again. Instead of Mexican or pizza or barbecue. Considering others over myself. If you read through the Bible cover to cover. There's a hundred times the Bible has the one another passages, right? Just passages that remind us to consider other people more than ourselves, to love one another, to be at peace with one another, to show hospitality to one another, to bear the burdens, forgive one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another, serve one another, submit to one another. And that's just a few. And none of that happens by yourself. You actually need an another to do those passages, those, those commands. There is an assumption in scripture that you will be involved in a community of other believers. But let's just consider the big one here. I think that we would all agree, love one another is probably the top of the list. Have you thought about what that involves? Because this isn't just a squeeze your cheeks, oh, I just love you so much kind of love. This is a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love one another. You know, be patient and kind, not jealous or boastful or proud, or rude. Don't demand your own way. Don't be irritable. Don't be easily offended. We're talking about that kind of love. That's God's plan for you. That's a Jesus kind of love. See, we all love the idea of community. We all have this fantasy of what community is going to look like. You know, I'm going to be Chandler, and you're going to be Phoebe and Ross, and we're going to sit around a table, and we're going to, you know, toast each other, and we're going to laugh, and if we have any conflict, it's going to all be resolved in 30 minutes. That's not the way real community works. I mean, these people are actors. They are going off a script. They were paid a million dollars a week to show up and act like they were friends. And so unless you have a million dollars to dole out for people to come to your house and pretend like your friends, your community is probably going to look a little different than that. Because real people are messy. Real people tend to go off script. They can hurt your feelings. They can get on your nerves. They will disappoint you. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, he who loves the dream of community better than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. You know, one of my biggest blunders and most stressful times in our small group happened in a kitchen setting. Just like what you would dream would be, you know, the ideal fun standing around a kitchen cooking together. And one of the wives in our group was making a taco salad. So she pops open a can of beans and she starts to pour the bean juice out over the lettuce. I said, whoa, 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 aren't you going to drain those beans before you put those on? Because that's the way we did that in my house. And she said, no, 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 no. This makes it taste better to just pour the juice out first over the lettuce. And I said, I don't think so. And um, she said, no, 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 you're going to love this. And then she got a little firm and she said, you just need to trust me. And so I said back, 
I don't think so. And you just need to shut up. Now, go ahead, collective gasp. I know. Honestly, when I hear it out loud, it sounds a lot worse to me now than what the intent was at the time. But it was like a record scratch. And she left the room in tears. And I felt terrible. I felt ashamed. And I apologized over and over. And she forgave me over and over. Um, But that's real life. That's, you know, it's easy to love the idea of community. It's a lot harder to love me when I've just told you to shut up, right? But how am I ever going to learn how to swallow my pride, how to ask for forgiveness? Um, And pride's one of the main things I want to get rid of. The scripture says over and over, God opposes the proud. I don't want to live my life in opposition to God. So get that off of me, get rid of that. And that comes out in the light in community. And how would she ever learn to forgive like Jesus forgives unless I'm always messing up so she can forgive me? You're welcome, right? You see how this works? Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. I learned it's not just me. I learned to get over me. And finally, in small community, I learned it's not about me. It's not even about me. Remember Jesus's prayer. Why did he want us to to be one in the first place? Was it primarily so that we could come and have a group of fun friends to do life with and, and, you know, barrel through this life together? Of course, that's a, a side part of it. But the way I read his prayer is the main objective in all of this. And I'll quote him is so that the world will believe that you sent me. So the world will believe that you sent me. There's a bigger purpose in our small group community than just what I can get out of it. It's really not about me getting all my needs met. It's that as we meet together and commit to one another and love each other and forgive one another and do life with one another, even though we are different in so many ways that the world will look at that and think, hmm, I wonder what that's about. I think I'd like to be a part of something like that. And don't you think, especially in a culture like ours, where we're experiencing, you know, just people at each other's throats 24 seven, that that would probably stand out. It might cause people to stop and wonder and ask some questions. And so one of the things I learned when I figure out it's not about me is I learned to stay, to just stay, to persevere. People ask me all the time, how's your small group work so well? How have y'all stayed together? We tried it and it was a swing and a miss. And, and so we don't do small group anymore. So how, you know, what was the secret sauce for y'all? And I sometimes just think maybe the secret sauce is that we just decided to stay. We have committed to stay because just like you've probably experienced there are seasons where it feels like pure delight. I can't wait to get there uh, and share a life and a meal together. But there's also seasons where Kathy and I have gotten back in the car and thought, whoa, those are some weird people. Is this worth it? When are the next signups at church for another small group? Henry Nouwen once said, the first command for community is to forgive each other for not being God. I love that thought, that every church, every community, every relationship, every friendship, every spouse, every parent, child, and pastor will at some point let you down. No one can live up to all your expectations, including you. So what if we just learn to stay? Because it takes time for walls to come down. It takes time for hearts to open up. I can hide my flaws pretty well for a few months, even maybe a few years. I can't hide them for 10 years. I can't hide them for 20 years. Eventually, they're going to come bubbling up. And then we're reminded, oh, yeah, we're all sinners in need of a savior. Look, the bottom line for this morning is this. God's heart It's for this world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
And part of how I learned to have God's heart for this world is I learned to have God's heart for my little world. So here's my challenge as you leave today. Just pretty simple, two things. Get connected and stay connected. Get connected and stay connected. Get connected. If you're tired of doing life alone, don't leave today without taking a step towards getting connected. You can go out into town square and get information on how to sign up for our formation groups. Every week we have people like you take a step towards joining a community here. So matter, no matter what age or stage of life you're in, it's, you know, it's not too late to start today. Life's just better together. And just know it may be more awkward than awesome at first. And that's fine. Maybe go for a short season, commit to that. And if it doesn't work, you can switch that, switch to another group that, you know, there's no rule against that. And if jumping into a small group seems like too big of a leap from a big group like this into a little house group, we have medium-sized groups. We'd love for you to take the next step into. We have men's ministry, women's ministry, Bible communities. Me and a couple of friends teach a Bible community at nine o'clock. You could come at nine o'clock right before this this uh, gathering to our class. It's Synergy. It's right down the hall, West D. Show up next week. We would love to have you do that. But get connected. And the second thing is to stay connected. Show up consistently. Just an hour a week in this big room is not enough. You got to go deeper with some other people and smaller group. Commit to being present and vulnerable. And then show up regularly. Because here's my belief. When we commit to doing life together, lost people get found. Found people grow. Lonely people find family. Hurt people find healing. Bored people find purpose. Cities find hope. And the kingdom comes from heaven to earth. That's what happens. We are ushering in the kingdom of God to a world that so desperately needs it. And you've been invited to be a part of it. I'll close with this quote from David Brooks. He says, culture changes when a small group of people Find a better way to live and the rest of us copy them. Look, our small group meets every Sunday night. We will meet together and we show up each week and we bring our differences and our issues and our hurts and our habits and hangups. We bring it all. But when we show up, you know what we don't do? We don't uh, belittle or berate those who think differently. We don't cancel them or refuse to show up because we've been offended. We don't go on a rant on Facebook or Instagram because somebody said something that we don't agree with and we want to prove that we're right. There'd be nothing remarkable about that. Here's what we do. We walk in and we share our lives together and we open up God's word together and we share a meal together and we listen to each other and we learn from each other and we love on each other. We have found a better way. It's not perfect, but it's what God wants for us. And the beautiful part of it in the process is we're becoming better ourselves. Hopefully people who look and act and love and respond more like Jesus. You need community. God never intended for you to do this life alone. And now we get to come together as the church, as the ecclesia, as the family of God to celebrate the links that Jesus went in order to provide this community for you, that he gave his life for this. So if you have your elements, if you'll get those now, we're gonna remember that night that he was with his small group, the night before he was betrayed. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember me. Let's do that.
And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood represents the new covenant, the promise that I'm making with you, that I'll be back for you. And we'll live together forever. Drink this and remember me. Now, as we continue in worship, this is your time to respond, to allow the spirit of God to rest on you, to move in you. The altar will be open. You're welcome to come up here and pray or just be where you're at. You can stand or sit however best uh, you can worship in these last minutes. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.